A House panel probe finds that senior Boeing engineers were unaware of the 737 MAX issues before the two fatal crashes that have had the aircraft grounded since March of 2019. And with Amazon set to start a hiring binge in the Chicago area, Crane senior reporter Albie Galoon joins the podcast today to talk about the company's rapid local expansion and for a bigger look at e-commerce and the future of brick-and-mortar retail. The, the big story is that you know COVID has just accelerated the trend yeah. of e-commerce kind of eating into the you know physical retail market. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist. It's Monday, September 14th. In these uncertain times, it's important to have people you trust by your side. When 11,000 local business owners needed a Paycheck Protection Program loan, they turned to their Wintrust banker to secure funding because that's a relationship they can count on. Businesses are navigating some of the biggest challenges they will ever face. Wintrust is here to answer their calls. They'll answer yours, too. Start the conversation at Wintrust.com slash Daily Gist. Member FDIC. We're joined now by Crane senior reporter Albie Galoon here to talk about Amazon. I feel like Amazon is on the podcast all the time, Albie. So it's it's just uh, we we just need to gather and talk it through. But what is the latest going on with Amazon? I know hiring is a big focus for them. Yeah, it's pretty staggering because I feel like just in the last six months or so, every few weeks I'm writing a new story about an Amazon warehouse, a new lease for an Amazon warehouse somewhere in the Chicago area. So. That's been going on. I mean, I, I would guess we've probably written about 10 or 12 of them in the last six months. And now, you know, they're getting ready to open them and they've got to hire people to work there. So the latest news is they're, they're going to hire 5,500 people and, you know, they're not going to stop there. Uh, they're, they're ultimately going to hire about 15,000 people in the Chicago area as they open up more warehouses over the next year or so. And we've talked about several of those of those warehouses and where they are and, and you know what, what that means for, for real estate, because I think it's very interesting. It seems like this is kind of the only part of commercial real estate that's really thriving right now is, is in this logistics realm. Yeah, it's true. It, you know, there, there are other sectors that are doing really poorly. Uh, retail is one of them, partly because of what's happening in e-commerce. And, um, but, uh, you know, on the other hand, e-commerce has really lifted the industrial market. Uh, demand for warehouse space has been soaring largely in Chicago due to Amazon because, um, you know, firms like Amazon and, you know, logistics firms need the space to store the goods that are being shipped to people in their homes that they order online. So the industrial uh, vacancy rate in Chicago is up slightly, but you know, compared to other sectors, it's really doing quite well. And what we've really seen in, over just the last year, I'd say, is is how many of these fulfillment centers are going in. Is that typical in other metro areas, or is Chicago somehow unique because we're kind of in the center of the country? No, it's happening all over the place. Uh, I don't know what the exact number is nationwide, but you know, they're they're planning on hiring. 100,000 people nationwide. Uh, and, you know, they need to have all this space to penetrate these large urban centers. And, you know, they want 
big warehouses kind of in the outer ring suburbs and even out in, you know, the exurbs, places like Shanahan, uh, where they just opened up a, a warehouse that employs a thousand people. So they need, they need big warehouses out there. And then they, as you get closer to the city, they need them as well. And they also need smaller like delivery stations within the city because they want to be able to deliver products to people same day or the next day. And so in order to do that, you need to be very close to the consumer. And, and it seems like the bigger piece of this is the shift in consumer behavior. We've seen retail, physical retail locations really suffer. We've seen a lot of retail chains file bankruptcy. We've seen a lot of stores close. As you and I have talked about, there was already a lot of pressure on brick and mortar retail due to e-commerce. But it, it seems like what is going to happen to e-commerce and to brick and mortar retail as a result of the pandemic is is going to, to maybe speed up the inevitable a bit. Yeah, it, it's really accelerated the trend. And it, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, if you looked at some of the metrics and what was going on in the retail sector even before this recession, they were, it was almost like the sector was in a recession. And then, you know, COVID hit and we've had a lot of retail bankruptcies. Firms like, uh, you know, JCPenney went, uh, filed for Chapter 11 protection. Uh, you know, dozens of others have just, um, you know, filed for bankruptcy or, or gone out of business altogether. And uh, I just found one stat. This is from Challenger, Gray, and Christmas. For the first four months of 2020, retailers cut 114,000 jobs. And that was the first four months of the year. That was really before the full impact of COVID. So, uh, you know, I don't know what the numbers are for the rest of the year, but they're going to be a lot higher. So, uh, you know, the flip side of that, obviously, is e-commerce. And, you know, I don't think, though, you're going to see you know, as many jobs created on the e-commerce side to displace all those retail jobs. So this is a huge disruption to the economy. I mean, it affects so many people, especially retail landlords or, you know, and owners of big shopping malls, because they have to figure out what their properties are going to be. Maybe not uh, 10, 20 years down the road, but right now, because they're losing so many of their tenants. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. Normally with change, it's a little more incremental and we get a chance to kind of analyze it at each point. This has upended that. And I think with everything, people have had to adapt really, really quickly. So what kind of things are you hearing from those commercial landlords in terms of where they might pivot to just you know keep their revenue intact? Well, it really depends on what kind of property you're talking about, whether it's you know, street level retail in downtown Chicago or a community shopping center or a big shopping mall like Northbrook Court, I'll use them as an example. You know, they, the, the owner of Northbrook Court kind of got the ball rolling on a massive redevelopment before COVID and they want to turn that shopping mall into a kind of mixed use property where they would have 300 apartments or so. They could bring in a grocery store, fitness center. So they really want to kind of diversify their their revenue streams. And you see a lot of that among shopping mall owners. They're trying to figure out what their redevelopment options are. So they're not so reliant on, uh, you know, traditional apparel retailers, which were really kind of the core tenant for a lot of these properties. You know, there are, there are even stories out there of 
you know, Amazon looking at opening fulfillment centers and shopping centers. So, you know, don't be surprised to see something like that too. It will be interesting. So what are the things, given that this is kind of moving quickly and people are trying to pivot quickly, what are the things that you'll be most interested to watch just in the next couple of months? Well, I think this Amazon story is is very interesting and we'll have to see whether their pace of expansion continues or it slows down in the in the next few months. So, you know, they're obviously they, they just had this wave in Chicago of these leases uh, that they signed, and so th- I think there's probably going to be a digestion phase there, and maybe things will slow down a bit. But you know, this um, this disruption of the retail market is is going to continue, and I would expect to see you know, more retail bankruptcies, more store closures, there's going to be a lot of distress in the market. And it's it's going to be very difficult for these landlords to, um, to uh, you know, stay relevant, really. Lots of things to follow. Well, we will keep turning to you as it continues to unfold. Thanks so much for taking the time to chat today. Thanks, Amy. Coming up, the new U.S. News College rankings are out. We'll take a look at where University of Chicago, Northwestern, and Notre Dame all landed on the list. That and more right after this. Chicago Comes Back provides resilient leadership insights to help your business move forward from the pandemic. Delivered on Thursdays, this free e-newsletter features up-to-date information and guidance for Chicago's businesses. Sign up at chicagobusiness.com slash chicagocomesback. This is the Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Goof. Top engineers overseeing the design of Boeing 737 MAX told congressional investigators they weren't aware of key design decisions later identified as flaws in two fatal crashes. The then-vice president's overseeing engineering work on the development of the 737 MAX told the House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee that lower-level workers had made the design decisions on the now-grounded jetliner. One saying about the decision to design a safety feature on the plane so that it could repeatedly dive, quote, the technical leaders well below my level, would have gone into that level of detail. That feature, known as the Maneuvering Characteristics Augmentation System, was cited by investigators as the main reason for the crash in October 2018 off the coast of Indonesia. And an initial report on the second crash in Ethiopia in March of 2019 indicates that the same system activated, leading to a steep dive and crash. And the accidents killed 346 people and led to the grounding of Boeing's best-selling jet. After more than a year of redesigns, the plane is now under review by the FAA and could return to service before the end of the year. Democrats on the House panel, who've been conducting an aggressive probe of how the plane was designed, are expected to release a report on their work soon. And their questions mainly focused on Boeing's push to minimize the type of pilot training needed for the jet and the design decisions that have since been identified as flawed by accident investigations. Following up on a story we talked about last week on the podcast, Tratton, a subsidiary of Volkswagen, earlier this month increased its bid for the 83% of Lyle-based truck manufacturer Navistar that it doesn't already own. And now Navistar has called Tratton's revised takeover bid a starting point for further discussion and said it would allow the Volkswagen heavy truck unit to conduct due diligence. That said, Navistar directors also said the new offer, quote, significantly undervalues the company and substantial synergies from a combination. The new offer values the stake at $3.6 billion. 
Nonetheless, the board signaled an interest in further exploring a transaction, noting the strong strategic relationship between the two companies. And acquiring full ownership of Navistar would give Tratton a presence in the U.S., which is the most lucrative trucking market. Navistar makes international brand trucks as well as school buses and diesel engines. A new lawsuit has been filed against United for allegedly packing NFL charter flights with young and blonde flight crews. According to two veteran flight attendants who sued Friday in California, the airline bases the value of workers, quote, entirely on their racial and physical attributes and stereotypical notions of sexual allure. The attendants, a black woman who's worked for the airline for 28 years and a Jewish woman with 34 years of tenure, say that they both tried repeatedly and unsuccessfully to get assigned to work the charter flights. United has contracts to provide air travel with some three dozen teams in the NFL, MLB, and NCAA, according to the lawsuit. And attendants who work those flights earn more and are provided with premium accommodations. And also, according to the lawsuit, they also sometimes get tickets to games, including playoff and Super Bowl tickets. The flight attendants were told by supervisors that they were unable to get work on the charters because they weren't on the so-called preferred list that were based on team preferences, according to the complaint. They said they later discovered that young white blonde flight attendants with less seniority were given the assignments. The women say they lodged complaints with the airline but were ignored. And the two said in the lawsuit, United Airlines has, quote, adopted and continues to implement procedures that are designed to ensure that young, white, blonde, blue-eyed female employees receive positions with the charter program, while more senior and black and Jewish employees do not. The University of Chicago and Northwestern held their spots in this year's U.S. News and World Report ranking of the best universities, but their Catholic rival over the Indiana border slid. U of C remained in the number six spot as the highest ranked university in the state of Illinois in a tie with Stanford in California. That according to the outlet's ranking. U of C was the third highest ranked in the country until 2018. Meanwhile, Northwestern hung on to a tie for number nine with John Hopkins in Maryland and Caltech. Notre Dame and Indiana dropped to number 19 from its spot last year on the list at number 15. U of I at Urbana-Champaign, which is the largest school in the state, edged up one slot to number 47 in a tie with the University of Georgia, and they also tied at number 15 among public universities. U of I at Chicago jumped to number 112 from 132 last year and was number 30 in the nation in terms of ethnic diversity. UIC tied in the overall ranking with Loyola Chicago and four others. DePaul, which is the biggest Catholic university in the country, tied for number 124 with IIT, and seven others. And why does all this matter? Well, the ranking by U.S. News is a key barometer for students in evaluating the nation's thousands of colleges and universities, and it also stokes competition among the schools themselves. The list takes into consideration 17 indicators of academic quality to determine an overall score, such as graduate indebtedness and social mobility. For more on this story and to find a link to the full list, visit chicagobusiness.com. And that's Crane's Daily just for now. Our continuous news feed lives at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to our guest today, Albie Galoon, and be sure to subscribe to these conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you like to get your audio on demand. And be sure to find hashtag Crane's Daily Gist on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And let's continue talking there about these and other business stories. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.